Martinez Arlauskas' departure from Gonzaga leaves the team with an open scholarship. We're going to discuss each of the options for Mark Few to do with that scholarship on today's show, along with a look at the WCC's schedule and who the Zags are going to face on Senior Night, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. We are here in August, and I appreciate everybody who is continuing to listen to the show in the midst of the Gonzaga basketball offseason. It is very much appreciated. Uh, If you haven't done so yet, please check out Locked On Zags on YouTube. It is a fast-growing YouTube channel, over 820 subscribers. My goal is 1,000 before the start of the college basketball season. We are very close. I know we can get there. If you are listening and have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, Find the channel and hit that big subscribe button. All right, multiple topics today here, like I said, as we get into August. Uh, First thing I want to talk about is the departure of Martinez Arlauskas from the program. We discussed this at length on Monday during Mailbag. Uh, It was one of the top questions that people asked was kind of about Martinez Arlauskas' departure and also Gonzaga has an open scholarship. And I was a little resistant to talk too much about the open scholarship during that episode, in part because I wanted to kind of pay respects to the three years that Martinez Arlauskas spent at Gonzaga. He was a quality zag through and through. It's a very lengthy conversation about him on Monday's episode. I think he he kind of encapsulated a lot of what you really want from those kind of final few spots on your roster. You want a guy who's not going to be upset about playing time, who's going to be a good teammate, who's going to make friends with guys on the team, have kind of fun pregame rituals, warm-ups, all of that stuff. Arlauskas fit all of that to a T. It is unfortunate to to not have him on the roster next year because I think he he does provide a level of camaraderie and, and friendship and kind of just a, a lack of drama. I think, you know, when you look at, at some of the high-profile programs, uh, and many of the best programs are very good at, at handling this, including Mark Few and the Zags, who do an exceptional job of this. But you can't recruit 13 players and promise every single one of them playing time. Or I suppose you can, but you're going to have five or six or seven players transferring every single year, and you're just going to be churning guys in and out. And the Zags, I think, are very good at at not doing that, at, at finding guys who are willing to buy into, hey, maybe this isn't my year, but maybe next year's my year, or maybe two years from now is my year. And I think you see, you want a program that's going to have a, a group of guys where everybody knows their role or and is comfortable with their role and is kind of willing to, to, to play that part for that upcoming season. And I think Arlauskas, while some may look at, oh, it was just a, a guy who sat on the end of the bench, he didn't really do anything. Him being willing to play that role, not causing a stir, not transferring right away or anything like that, I think is significant. And I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that and appreciate that because it's it's hard to find guys like that. And I think that kind of leads well into the next part of the conversation, which is the Zacks have an open scholarship. It's not 
common to all of a sudden have an open scholarship in early August. That is unusual, and it kind of spurned a lot of conversation about what should the Zags do, or frankly, what can the Zags do? And I talked on, I touched on it a little bit on Monday, but I want to expand a little bit more here. Uh, although, to be honest, the answer is probably nothing super substantial. That doesn't mean there are not options for the Zags. It does not mean there are not relatively substantial things they could do. I just don't really see a lot of options that make a ton of sense. For starters, the Zags already have too many guys and not enough spots this season. And it's it's a, it's not a bad problem to have, certainly not a problem that I think Mark Few is, is opposed to having going forward. But when you look at this roster, I have a really hard time seeing any way to add somebody to it who's going to play right away unless there's some like nuclear situation where like one of the top class of 2022 prospects decommits very suddenly and decides to come to Gonzaga. But even then, the Zags have a really stacked lineup for next year. We've talked about it at length on the show. They have four great front court players in Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, Efton Reed, Anton Watson. Those four guys are all going to play a lot of minutes in the front court. And that's not including Ben Gregg. That's not including Caden Perry. That's not including Braden Huff. And then you look at the backcourt and you have Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton, Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, and Dominic Harris. All of those guys really deserve to play as well. That's nine guys right there. Mark Few doesn't like to play more than nine. Frankly, he doesn't like to play nine. I'm not sure how all nine of those guys are going to get significant minutes next year, but I don't see any real way to not play any of those guys. All those guys need to play. And so I don't see a situation where this final roster spot goes to anybody who's really going to play significant minutes. So for my money, there are four realistic options for Gonzaga. We'll go through them one by one. Number one is to try to find a sit-out transfer. At this point, any players who are in the transfer portal, as I understand it, if they entered after a certain date, they do not get the automatic waiver to be able to play right away. So they could still transfer, they could still commit to go to another school, but they would have to sit out for the 22 season, and then they would be able to play the following year. So that is an option that makes sense for Gonzaga. They would take up a scholarship spot, but they would not need to play or even be able to play, so they wouldn't disrupt the rhythm of the roster for this upcoming season. They wouldn't challenge anybody for playing time, which is could be can be a bit tenuous, especially at this point in the offseason. Uh, that is probably the best option in terms of adding like a high profile piece or at least a decent like a, adding a player who's going to contribute to this roster at some point in the next couple of seasons. The problem, there's not a lot of them available. Again, we're talking about early August. It's pretty unusual for there to be players who haven't figured out where they're going to go to school next season. There are a couple good options. Keontae Johnson is definitely the best player who is available. He is a Florida transfer. He was the player, some may recall, who collapsed on the court a few years ago and had some health issues, some some legitimate scares at that time. I don't think there's ever really been a connection for him to Gonzaga. I could be wrong about that, but I couldn't find any out there. So would be a bit of a surprise to see him give Gonzaga any consideration at this point. But again, you never know. Mark Few makes a phone call. All of a sudden, people who maybe previously hadn't showed any interest, they might change their mind a little bit. That's the level that this program is at at this point. A few other names, Kim Aiken is a name that might be familiar to some. He was an Eastern Washington player for a handful of years. He was around with the Groves brothers. Uh, He spent last season at Arizona, but he only played seven games, was eventually removed from the roster, has now entered the transfer portal. He he's not really an impact player. He's not really a difference maker. He's not dramatically different from Martinez Orlowskis, quite frankly. Uh, after that, there are a handful of other names. Uh, P.J. Horn is one that stuck out to me, a power forward from Georgia. But again, none of these guys 
are super significant players. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't be worth adding to the roster, if nothing else, for a bigger body in practice to go up against, a guy who, you know, could be an injury solution maybe again not this season because they'd have to sit out but in future years a guy who sits out this year who then becomes a depth option in 23 if, if they can find a guy who's in the portal right now who they like who's willing to buy into Gonzaga and willing to buy into hey maybe I'm not going to start for this team maybe I'm not even going to be a big rotation player but like Arlauskas I could be a guy who comes to this program who you know practices every day, who travels with the team, who's a part of the roster, but maybe not a guy who plays a lot of significant minutes. If they can find a guy who's out on the porter, por- portal, excuse me, who's not signed, who's willing to buy into that, then sure. But that's a lot of caveats that need to be met in order for this to work. Option number two is a class of 2022 prospects. So a freshman. Find somebody who's unsigned or somebody who decommits from another program who's willing to come to Gonzaga and be a true freshman on scholarship for next season. Again, it would be somebody who's not going to contribute right away unless there's a surprise change where somebody, again, somebody decommits from a high-level program or a 23 prospect who reclassifies who wants to start college next season. Mookie Cook is a name that's been mentioned there a handful of times. He's likely going to commit back to Oregon. That's something that is probably down the pipeline. By the time you're listening to this, it might have already happened. Quite frankly, he's close friends with KJ Evans, who recently committed to Oregon. It's likely those two guys are going to play together, so I don't think that's going to be an option. I also don't think Cook is going to reclassify, so I don't think that it matters there. But again, there's not a lot of class of 2022 prospects still available. Most of the top 100 guys are signed. Very few not top 100 guys or very few top 100 guys are unsigned. Very few top 200 guys are unsigned. There's just not a lot of guys still available at this point. If you were a high level basketball player in high school and you're looking to play in college, you probably already have somewhere to go. So there's just not really a lot of options for them to find at that point. And again, Gonzaga is not going to offer really any significant playing time for this season and probably not for next season as well. So it'd have to be somebody who's willing to come in and, and not necessarily play right away. Option number three is to add a walk-on to scholarship. This is something we've seen Gonzaga do a handful of times. They've done it with Matthew Lang twice before he decided to transfer to Arizona. And that's kind of the, the issue with this. If Matthew, if Matthew Lang or Will Graves were both still on Gonzaga's roster, I think it might make some sense. Those two guys had, have played multiple games every single season. They won, they won fans uh, fast food because they hit the 10th three-pointer of the game. They were kind of like stalwarts of the bench mob for Gonzaga. They would make some sense to add on to scholarship. Again, Lang had been added on to scholarship, but he has now transferred to Arizona where he will be uh, playing under coach Tommy Lloyd. Will Graves has transferred to Southern Oregon, Oregon where he's going to play uh, closer to his family. And so those guys aren't really options. That leaves Joe Few. I'm not sure the optics are all that good for the Zags to put Joe Few on scholarship. I don't think it would be like this huge controversy necessarily, but they don't need to. Joe Few does not need to be on scholarship. He is likely paying very little to zero money to go to Gonzaga in the first place, so adding him on a scholarship seems kind of silly. The other options there are Abe Eagle and Colby Brooks, who are two walk-ons who are going to be, assuming they stay on the roster, are going to be entering their third season at Gonzaga next year. Neither of them have ever played a single minute, so it's a little hard to see them, I guess, earning a scholarship. I think if, if the other option is leaving it blank, I would rather they give one of those two guys a scholarship just because I think that's the, the right thing to do. That's the nice thing to do in that situation, how they would pick between the two of them. I have no idea. I'm not privy to a lot of that, but I think that that at least makes 
some sense if they can't find a 2022 kid that they want to, you know, just give a scholarship spot to and kind of see who he is. If they can't find a transfer, uh, they could just add a walk on to scholarship and kind of go from there. And then, of course, the fourth option is to not do anything, which really doesn't doesn't help them. It doesn't really they can't carry it over necessarily. It's just an empty scholarship spot. Uh, Again, they could add somebody very late. That gives them some flexibility in case something does change at the very last minute, uh, or they could just add a walk-on at a later date. Maybe this year Colby Brooks does play, and he actually plays pretty well in those last few minutes, and they decide, hey, you know what? For the spring, we're going to put you on scholarship. We're going to make sure that you kind of get rewarded for your, your what you were able to do in the fall. Like I think those kind of things make some sense for the Zags to do if they get those opportunities, but I, I don't think there's really a realistic situation where the Zags are using this empty scholarship spot for anybody of extreme significance for this season, again, perhaps they can find a way to add a, a 2022 kid who decommits or a transfer who's going to sit out for a year. But I think ultimately they're not going to push really hard to fill the scholarship spot unless something happens to come their way. I'm sure they're looking. I'm not going to, you know, the staff's not just sitting around not doing anything. They're always busy. They're always looking for ways to to add to the roster, to improve, to, to get better in, in whatever way that they can. But I don't think that fans should be looking at this open scholarship as a way to dramatically change Gonzaga's outlook for this upcoming season. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment, and we are going to take a look at the just-released WCC conference schedule for both the men's side and the women's side, who Gonzaga opens the conference season against, who they will play on senior night, all of that right after we talk about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zach. Switching over to talk about the new WCC schedule, which was released on Tuesday morning for both the Gonzaga men's and women's basketball programs. The schedule is out. We know which days the Zags are going to be playing each of the opponents in conference. They're going to open the season. The men's side, at least, is going to open the season on New Year's Eve, December 31st. They will be playing the Waves of Pepperdine. It is the earliest that Gonzaga is starting their conference season since 2017. So it's been five years since they started the season on the earlier side of the calendar. So that is exciting. Uh, they're opening at home against the Waves, and they have three in a row on the road. They're playing San Francisco, Santa Clara, BYU. That is a pretty tough start to conference play. Last year, we saw the Zags just absolutely obliterate 
everybody at the beginning of conference play was the hottest stretch of basketball for Gonzaga all season long. They destroyed Texas Tech in Phoenix, and then they rolled into conference play and just put up 100 on a bunch of different teams in a row. This year's going to be tougher. Pepperdine is going to be an improved version of the Pepperdine team that we saw last year. They had three very, very good freshmen on that roster. Houston Millette is going to be one of the best players in the WCC. I'm absolutely willing to book that right now. And of course, then they go San Francisco, Santa Clara, BYU, all on the road. That's tough. That's a tough stretch right there. Chris Gerlison's going to have that USF team in really good shape. Santa Clara lost a lot of talent from last year. It's going to be rough for Herb Sendek and that squad to replicate the season they had last year without P.J. Pipes, without Jalen Williams, without Yusuf Frankich. But they're still going to be good. They're never that bad. They're always right in the middle of the pack, at least in the WCC. And then, of course, BYU final season in the WCC conference. It's going to be exciting to see what they're capable of doing under coach Mark Pope. Uh, Other couple games for the men to focus on. They got Portland at Portland on January 28th. This is an important game to highlight because there are a lot of Gonzaga fans out there who live in the Portland area, including yours truly, including many of you who are listening to the show. It is an opportunity to see the Zags in person in Portland at the Child Center, January 28th. It's the first time in a while. For those of you who do not remember, the, the WCC dropped from playing 18 conference games to 16 conference games. It was a, a vote that Mark Few and Randy Bennett almost certainly championed as an opportunity to get more non-conference games onto the schedule. Uh, they were dropping the two worst team. Basically, it was a, the two worst teams didn't have to play the two best teams, etc., etc. And so for Gonzaga, they did not have to play Portland in Portland for a long time. They haven't had to play this game in a while. Uh, which is good for Gonzaga in the sense that they were able to add better teams to their schedule. But it was a little bit rough for the fans. Certainly it was rough for the University of Portland, who really, really needed those big, huge sellout games to help make their financial to make their financials work. So that was a bummer for them. But now Shantae Leggins, man, he's got those that got that UP team out of being at the bottom of the cellar in the WCC. I don't think they're going to be back there for a while. That allows the Zags to play in Portland again, January 28th. Very, very exciting game. I'll be there almost certainly. If you're going to be at that game, let me know. Hopefully we can hang out, give you a fist bump, something like that. A couple other games for the Zags. They're playing at St. Mary's on February 4th, and then they're playing BYU at home on February 11th. So the early part of February has got a tough couple of tough games for the Zags and they're finishing out the conference season at home senior night hosting the Gales it's going to be an absolute riot at the kennel that day really really fun game that is on February 25th it is going to be an absolute blast and then Vegas of course early March as it always is March 2nd through the 7th is when the games will take place for the WCC tournament Looking over at the women's side, the women open and close the conference season with BYU. They are bookending the season with the Cougars. They open against them on the 17th. That will be at home, so that's a very, very big game in the kennel for the women's basketball team. Again, December 17th there. Then they have a long, they got a couple more games, and they have a really long stretch away from the kennel. They're gone from January 7th until January 26th. They got three games in a row on the road at UP on the 14th, at Pacific on the 19th, and at St. Mary's on the 21st. And they will play their senior night will be against St. Mary's as well on February 18th, one week before the Zags have their senior night against the Gales. And then they finish out the season on the road against BYU. That's going to be a tough one too. BYU senior night, their final game 
in the WCC. The Zags are going to come to Provo and hope to play spoiler for them there. Uh, the BYU-Gonzaga rivalry has been great on both the men's and women's side, but it has been excellent on the women's side. That program is very, very good, and those two teams have been battling for supremacy in the WCC for the better part of a decade. It's really fun that the final game uh, for BYU in conference is against Gonzaga at home. I think that place is going to be absolutely popping, and it's going to be a really fun one. It's going to be probably around the same time as the men's game against St. Mary's, which is a bit of a bummer. Hopefully we can do a split-screen situation and watch both of them because that's two really good games taking place on February 25th. All right, we're going to come back in the third and final segment of today's show, and we're going to talk about Chet Holmgren's dominant performance in the crossover pro-am on Saturday. We're going to talk about Courtney Vandersloot's chase for WNBA history, and we're going to talk about a pair of Gonzaga alumni who signed new contracts overseas right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still... Locked on Zags. Now we're talking pro Zags. We're just kind of giving a couple rapid fire news stories that came across the desk this past week regarding the Zags. I want to open it up talking about Chet Holmgren, who absolutely dominated in the crossover crossover pro-am on Saturday. Uh, it's a Jamal Crawford's event that takes place in Seattle every summer. Uh, it's at Seattle Pacific University. Lots of kind of local area NBA guys, former NBA guys, college guys, future NBA guys, whatever it may be. Uh, these pro-am events have kind of been cropping up a lot lately the last few years, I think kind of giving basketball junkies a opportunity to watch basketball during the time of the year where there's not a lot of basketball. After the NBA finals, before the college basketball season and the NBA season pick back up, there's just kind of this lull period. The basketball tournament or TBT has kind of helped fill that void. We've also seen these pro-am events pop up, just kind of local area with a bunch of local guys who just play scrimmage-style basketball against each other. They're not particularly serious games, and I don't think that statistical... Trying to, trying to glean anything from them statistically is, is very irrelevant. Malachi Flynn, who is a good basketball player, don't get me wrong, he dropped 73 points in one of these pro-ams a couple weeks ago. I don't think that that necessarily means that Malachi Flynn is about to have the greatest NBA season of all time. It's just kind of a fun little thing that we see. But Chet and Paolo got to be on the same team in this event, which was insanely fun. I think a lot of people were kind of hoping to see them go at each other, but I thought it was fun that they were on the same team. They combined for 84 points 34 of them were scored by Argar Chet Holmgren, which means that 50 of them were scored by Paolo Bancaro. He looked like an absolute machine in this game. Again, the defense wasn't particularly serious, and these guys weren't exactly trying to play team basketball. They were kind of just doing their own thing. I was really fun to see both of these two guys do their do what they can do. Uh, for Chet Holmgren, it's always fun to see him be a little bit more creative offensively. We saw him you know, backing guys down from the three-point line, shooting those one-legged fadeaways, the Dirk Nowitzki shots, uh, doing all sorts of things that he didn't really get a chance to do at Gonzaga. It's fun to see him do that. I think it's a little sad to see him do that too. I think it's understandable for Gonzaga fans to watch him be this more creative, free-flowing offensive player that he never really got to be at Gonzaga. And I think it's understandable to feel maybe sad about that, maybe a little bit frustrated about that. I don't think that Mark Few horribly mismanaged Chet Holmgren. I don't think that's the situation at all. And I don't think that him scoring 34 points in a pro-am game because of his super creative shot was has anything to do with what happened at Gonzaga. But we also saw him display some of these like one-legged fadeaway three-point shots during summer league. And we're going to see him do it in the NBA. He's going to do some of this stuff, the crossover behind the back three-point shots, those kinds of things that we saw him do in summer league. He's going to do that in the NBA too. And 
I know there's going to be kind of a push for people to be like, why didn't we see this at Gonzaga? The Zags did pretty darn good with him. They didn't lose against Arkansas because Chet Holmgren didn't take enough behind-the-back three-pointers. Like, that's not what caused them to lose that game. Could Mark Few have given Chet Holmgren more reign to do some different stuff offensively? Yes. Would it have changed the results of Gonzaga's season? I say probably not. You may have a different opinion on that. We'll never know the answer, unfortunately, Uh, but I don't think it made this huge difference, but I do understand why people are like, why couldn't we see Chad Holmgren do that? I get it. I understand. It would have been really fun, but we get to see him do that for the next 15 years in the NBA. So at least we have that that going for us. Uh, Next up, Courtney Vandersloot is now third all-time in WNBA history in assists. She passed Lindsey Whalen with her 2,349th career assist. Uh, In an overtime victory over the Connecticut Sun, Sloot had 16 points, 12 assists, and 8 rebounds in that game. Very nearly her second career triple-double, or her third career triple-double in that game. Very, very awesome performance from Sloot. She was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week in the WNBA. This was after she missed four games with a concussion. She came back immediately, was back to her old self again, immediately won best player in the entire conference right after coming back from a concussion. Very impressive stuff from Sloot. She is now 252 assists away from catching Tisha Penasciero for second place in WNBA history and assists. She is about 850 or so assists away from catching Sue Bird for first place all-time in assists. Of course, Sue is continuing to rack up assists for the next month or so, but then she is retiring after that. Sloot could do it. Like, realistically, four good seasons from Sloot, five seasons, they don't have to be very good. Five average seasons for Sloot, or three or four good seasons, one or two below average seasons, Sloot gets there. This is very realistic. Now, she's 33, so she'd have to play till she's 37, 38, but Sue's about to retire, she's 40. Diana Taurasi's about to retire, she's over 40. Silvio Fowles, I think, is 38, 39, she's about to retire. Like, you can play into your late 30s and still be successful. The WNBA season's a little bit shorter. I think it's it's not as taxing to play a full 82. Obviously, many players, including Vandersloot, play overseas during the offseason. So if, depending on whether they're going to continue to do that or not, it kind of determines how long they can play in the WNBA. But I think it's very realistic for Vandersloot to finish her career as the WNBA's all-time assist leader. How long she will hold on to that mantle remains to be seen, but... For at least a period of time, if she gets there, Courtney Vandersloot and John Stockton will be the all-time assist leaders in the WNBA and the NBA, both Gonzaga alumni. I think that's extremely cool. Uh, that's a really fun fact. Uh, it is a bit misleading in the sense that Gonzaga is not like constantly churning out all-time elite greats at the point guard position in both the WNBA and the NBA, but they obviously are a very, very high-level basketball program. And I, I, there's a part of me that just thinks it'd be kind of fun if Gonzaga has the all-time assist leader in both sports and neither of them were coached by Mark Few. I don't know why. I just think that's kind of fun. It's not a slam on Mark Few. It's just that he's the face and the icon of Gonzaga basketball and them having this really, really fun fact about the program and him not really having any involvement in said fun fact. Just kind of a fun little thing. A couple more updates. Jordan Matthews and Gino Crandall have both signed new contracts overseas, and both of them will now be teammates, not with each other, but with other Zags. Gino Crandall signed with BC Gottingen in Germany. He is going to be teammates with Mathis Merninghoff. That's a blast from the past. Mathis played at Gonzaga 
2010 to 2012, I believe, or 2009 to 2011 uh, is when he was at Gonzaga. He was only there for two years. He ended up leaving early, going back to Germany and starting a professional basketball career, which is still going. He's been with Gottingen for six of the last seven seasons. Now Crandall is going to join him. After two MVP seasons with the Lancaster Riders in the British Basketball League, Gino was the best basketball player in Britain for two consecutive seasons. He was, again, back-to-back MVPs. He won finals MVP this past season. Now he's signing overseas in Germany. Very excited for Gino. Happy he's going to be teammates with another Zag, and he's going to have an opportunity to play at a higher level of basketball. And then finally, closing out the show with an update on Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews signed with Spajnia Stargard in the Polish Basketball League, which put, makes him teammates with Admon Gilder. Gilder averaged about 19 points per game with this team in Poland last year. So I think him and Matthews are going to be two very, very high-level players on this team next season. Matthews has had a good career ever since he left Gonzaga. Uh, he averaged 20.3 points per game in Denmark during the 18-19 season. Uh, he spent 2021 in Russia. He only played nine games with the Russian team, and he did not play at all last season. Probably an injury situation there. Maybe he was just sitting it out. Maybe the war had something to do with it. I don't know all of the details specifically there, but he's healthy now. He signed in Poland. He's going to be teammates with Admon Gilder. Those two guys did not overlap at Gonzaga, but they are two notable graduate transfers who played at Gonzaga along with Crandall. All three of those guys are graduate transfers. Uh, Obviously, Gonzaga has had a tremendous amount of success with graduate transfer guards. Clearly, all three of these guys among the, the very best to do it in a Gonzaga uniform, especially after starting their career somewhere else. Uh, excited for Jordan, excited for Gino to get new opportunities to play very high-level basketball in Poland and Germany, respectively. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to get a chance to see what they do with their new teams. All right, that is going to do it for me today. For more, check out the new website, www.scorezagscore.com. We got updates on everything you heard about today and two to three posts coming out every single day as well. More more fun stuff coming up later this week on Locked on Zags. We got a guest coming on the show. Really fun conversation planned for that as well. So definitely check that out right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, I want to thank you all again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC may not exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.